Hi guys, welcome back to part two, episode 168 of Unknown Passage, a podcast that tells the stories of those who have gone missing or have been murdered abroad. Hope you're all doing well and ready for part two of Rui Pedro's story. First of all, I just want to thank since part one, um, listener Nicole for um, her contribution to the podcast. Thank you. And I also just want to say that I actually had a really nice email from a Portuguese listener, Beatriz, who reached out to thank me for covering this and said, you know, it's such a forgotten, just swept under the rug kind of, as she put it, uh, case that is still really dear to people in Portugal, not so much to the medium, um, not that I'm the medium, but she just wanted to bring that up. So um, I did write back and ask her what she thought and I did get a response, which I'll work into this because I thought it would be interesting to get another you know, local person's um, opinion of what happened. And it seems that generally me, Mariana and Beatrice are all kind of on board with the same general idea, may differ a little bit, and I will talk about that. Um, so this episode will be pretty messed up, um, which will get into the details of the very last time we believe that Rui was seen and what was happening. I also just want to bring up how in part one I discussed how Rui's dad said he was more worried about his daughter, obviously, um, just in general, her safety, being a dad. And you don't really think about someone kind of grooming a male child. But as patron Felicity, which sounds weird to say, but we do have one, um, pointed out on the Patreon, um, it reminded her of the Tammy Grogan case, which I covered, which is true. Uh, Tammy was the one who went missing from a cruise ship that was kind of an all-expenses-paid trip by someone who was fascinated with her son despite the fact that this man was an adult um and I really hope there's a resolution to that at some point for sure um because it's kind of open and shut for me these these cases so you know watch your sons obviously also stay tuned to the end of this episode for a really awesome world recent world headlines update which just happened a couple of hours ago um because I've got quite a lot of interesting world headlines for this week so where we left off we talked about Rui and we talked about um his family his relationship with Afonso Diaz and also we talked about um the last time he was seen witnessed getting into what seemed to be Afonso's car. Um, and we talked about how his mum, when he didn't appear for his tutoring session, initially went to Afonso's asking if he knew where he was. He did not and wouldn't talk to her. Now at 8pm that night, um, his father Manuel went to Afonso's house and something stood out to him. He said later on in an interview that Afonso was not a fan of bathing. He seemed to not often bathe, um, which even by European standards, he must mean rarely because in Europe they do actually bath and shower less than than in other parts of the world. It's more of like a cultural thing. And I noticed that when I was living in the UK and my roommate asked me why I showered all the time and I said once a day is all the time (laughs) and then my friend was like yeah poms don't we don't shower every day a lot of us and I was like oh okay us Australians were probably just used to being sweaty all the time so when Manuel turned up um, he noticed that Afonso was seemingly his hair was wet and he looked like he just got out of a bath or a shower I believe a bath 
Um, and then later on, when Afonso in the early days, I, I believe the following day, would be very briefly questioned by police as to what was going on or if he knew anything, he would tell police that he'd also bathed in the afternoon as well. So we're talking about bathing twice in the space of a few hours when you don't often at all. Now, Mariana told me to be very brutal with the about the Portuguese police. And I, with the Madeleine McCann case, and there's a lot of controversy with that, I generally don't come down as hard on them with that case um, for a lot of reasons, which I'll probably never get into because I'm never going to cover that case. Maybe I'll touch on it in an upcoming case I'm doing on a, port- a little boy that went missing around the same time in Portugal. And I'm just doing that because another patron also requested Portugal. Um, but it became clear really early on that the police just were not interested in this and they really tried to fob it off despite taking an initial report um, that they believed that he was either just at a friend's house despite the final sightings of him um, or that he'd run away or he didn't want to go to his tutoring session despite never doing that before. And when faced with tangible leads and multiple people pointing to the last person seen and with Rui, um, they chose to completely ignore them. Even when people were coming to them saying, no, after those kids saw him leave, I saw him too, um, they wouldn't listen to them until they needed them in a judicial sense. Now, the trial that comes up or the couple of trials, it's quite complex, so I'm going to try to make it later on as simple as possible to understand. But essentially there were three investigation teams over the course of about a decade that would look into this and the first two were basically useless. Um, Philomena's mum talks about how it was essentially men who had never worked in a missing child or kidnapping case um, who usually worked with bombs and things like that who didn't have computers. They were very behind the times even by 1998 standards And they really just refuse to listen to certain people. And I believe a lot of that is based in kind of the, maybe the Catholic, like the faith of the area and not wanting to listen to certain people because they fall on the fringes of that. Um, It would take years to listen to the people they needed to listen to. Even when organisations in Europe that fought online pedophile networks offered up their own files to look at images and videos of children being abused, they would not. Philomena would be forced to go to Switzerland in order to do that, which I'll talk about later. Actual pictures that could have been Rui through that investigation, they never responded to any of those, the initial investigation teams in Portugal. It took them years to do any age progression photos. But one of the early things that stood out to his dad, Manuel, that showed that they just were not listening or paying attention to even the the TV appeals that the media the media kind of stepped in especially local media to help before the police did and one of the very first appeals that they did on television Manuel discussed that later on and generally when you see an online appeal with with police they're there at the appeal but clearly they just weren't because it was just Manuel and the family and the media and it just shows what he said is that the cops never even watched the appeal because later on they would say well if we knew that Rui Pedro had epilepsy we would have we would have made it more of a 
a priority to look for him. And Manuel not only said they knew that, but he said, quote, the first appeal we did on television and on the radio was for someone who found my son to give him medicine, which is Diplexal, because he was epileptic and he needed the medication. So the inspector didn't see the appeal. He wasn't paying attention, unquote. So it just shows they never listened to any of that. Um, Now, I think they were just covering their tracks personally, like, and they knew that he was epileptic. They just didn't, um, they just thought he was a runaway and, you know, he didn't care about his health or whatever, being 11, didn't understand the gravity of his, of his condition. Um, in terms of when they interviewed Alfonso very briefly, Manuel would say, and he uses the term PJ, which is the term for the local judiciary police. He said, quote, No, the PJ sent him home, let him wash his car, didn't retrieve any elements or do any expertise work. I remember going to the PJ and seeing his clothes there, but the inspectors said there was nothing to extract, unquote. So they took Afonso's clothes, just looked at it and said, there's nothing on it. We're not going to send it off. They also let him go home and he washed his car, um, which he was seen doing. Um, Anyway, um, also early on, another massive red flag, which Mariana kind of explained to me and she, she remembers seeing it kind of on TV. Um, a, television, a local television reporter went to Afonso's house the following day and it was about 11 o'clock in the morning, knocked on the door and according to Mariana, who couldn't find the footage but she's seen it a bunch of times, um, she said that the woman is actually quite like confronting with Afonso, uh, which is good, and she she knocks on his door and it was on TV and He's essentially answers the door in his pyjamas at 11 o'clock. Now, this is like a Thursday, so that's another thing that makes me think he was barely in employment at the time. He's in his pyjamas. He's like, you know, bedraggled, looking like he's been in bed. And she essentially is like, why are you in your pyjamas at 11 o'clock and not looking for your friend? And he basically has nothing to say to that. Um, Essentially, him and his parents just closed ranks. Another major thing that he said, which comes up time and time again in discussions of this case, is that when he was first questioned by police and then they never really followed up again, Afonso apparently cryptically said to the police, quote, if you want the boy, close the borders, unquote. Now, this is always quoted and I just would be interested to know in the interests of being objective what the surrounding part of that conversation was. So, it, it could have been taken out of context in the sense that we don't know what happened or what the leading question was before that. So say a police officer could have said, if he was kidnapped, what would you do? And that could have been his answer if you want him close the borders. Um, so context is really important and because I don't know the context of that, but on its own, if he just randomly said it, it looks incredibly damning. It looks like he's being transported outside, you know, of the country. Before long, a local woman came forward with what she felt was a missing piece of the puzzle that she alleged had happened, and she believes that she was the last person to see Rui Pedro. Um, later on in trial, this would be accepted as as the truth. Um, she was a local sex worker, 
in a neighbouring kind of village um, and there's a lot of things I'd like to know about her that just aren't available. Um, and what she told police or tried to tell police on three different occasions, according to her, and they would not listen to her, um, tied in with what Rui's cousin, Andre, had said about when Rui went missing, he said, we were going to go and see the prostitutes with Afonso. And if you remember, he asked permission from his mum that day that Rui went missing, if he could go and hang out with Rui and Afonso, and his mum said no. And then when Rui went missing, he said, okay, I think he's with Afonso because we were going to go and see the prostitutes. Now, the police would not listen to her and it was only a decade later when they were pushed to put some sort of charge on Afonso, they would decide to. Now, this woman's name is Alcina Diash, no relation to Afonso, just the same surname. Alcina was a local prostitute working in the region and I believe she was probably quite down and out, although I don't have actual tangible evidence of that. She said on the day that Rui had vanished, she and she would later see that, you know, the that night and the next day press reports of Rui going missing, so it's fresh in her mind um, and would very soon approach police with this information. She said that on the afternoon that Rui vanished, she had seen Rui and Afonso that afternoon and the timing ties up with not long after he left that soccer pitch with Afonso in the car. So she said that she was kind of, she seems, we don't get the details really broken down, but I believe she's probably like a street walker, you know, operating on the streets. And that's what makes me think that Afonso had either frequented this area before, knew the local sex workers. She never says that Afonso had visited her for sex because she knew who he was and could identify him, she says later on, but she didn't know his name. But because I don't have the court transcripts, I don't know if she'd ever been hired by him, so to speak. So that afternoon, she's in this local kind of town um, and she's on the street and Afonso's black Fiat car pulls up and she didn't know his name or anything like that, um, but she recognised him, I believe, from around and she's, he essentially got out of the car with Rui and she, he essentially said to Alcina Diash, have sex with this boy. Um, and that's the truth. Um, have sex with an 11-year-old grown woman. Um, and so this was in a neighbouring town called Lustosa and they were kind of near a woodsy tree-lined area. <clears throat> And so he passed over some money, which is escudos, which was the currency at the time. And I can't translate what that was now. It's just impossible how much money that would be. But he paid her. She took it. And she said that Rui at this point was crying and he looked scared. Now, Alcina's story is that she then walked Rui into the tree line away from Afonso's gaze but nothing happened. She didn't do anything. She said she just stood with him for 15 minutes and tried to calm him down. She said she asked if he knew, if his mother knew where he was. And he, I found most sources said that he said yes. Then I found a source that said that he responded no. And I believe this is just a translation issue. 
she also asked him who the man was that was with him, like what relation to him. And he said, my uncle, which sounds like a lie that a kid would tell to try to not get their, you know, adult friend in trouble. Um, his anxiety was like kind of rising at this point. Meanwhile, Afonso was sitting in his black Fiat nearby waiting. After 15 minutes, Alcina said she returned Rui to the car with Alfonso and they drove away in the direction of the town that Rui came from, Lusada. And she said she never saw him again and she'd never seen him before either. Now, I, just to be objective, because I don't believe everything that people say, um, especially when they could be affected by, you know, drugs are really heavily used in the sex work community. Um, I had to force myself to wonder whether or not Elsina actually did it. Um, and that was really hard for me to do, but I had to in the interests of being objective. And I walked away deciding that I don't believe she did and nor does Mariana. Um, and the reason for that is that she would later try to contact police multiple times. And why would you try to do that when evidence could come out that you did like participated in one of the worst things imaginable. I don't believe that Alcina thought that Rui's welfare fell on her, I guess, which is fair enough, um, and she just didn't want to get involved in it. She's not in a position in her town clearly working as a streetwalker to be kind of injecting herself into other people's situations. I doubt she was in the mental mindset to do that. But Alcina's testimony would ultimately be incredibly important. Granted, the first two investigation teams would not listen to her. They said that she never contacted them with this information. Her story is that she went three times and they wouldn't listen to her because she couldn't give the name of the man, which she identified later on as Afonso Diaz. His face was kind of engraved in her mind and what's the likelihood that a man in this kind of area at the exact same time on the exact same day is driving around with a young boy driving the exact same car like you'd have to be an idiot to think it was a coincidence and the next day when it was on the news she clearly knew that it was him and she tried to talk to them multiple times over the years to no avail they didn't want to know in court hearings later on, she would say, quote, I have absolute certainty that he was the boy, unquote. Later on in court, when she was asked by the defence if the man that was with Rui that day is in the courtroom, she said yes, and she pointed to Afonso Diaz. Diaz. Mariana believes this entire incident happened, and so do I. So it's up to you whether you believe it. But if you take out this entire incident, then it changes what could have happened to Rui almost entirely. But how would Elsina be able to tie in her story with, at the exact same time, his cousin Andre telling his parents we were meant to go see the prostitutes and then this woman who doesn't know who this kid is just randomly comes forward with that information? Just too many coincidences. Um, so Mariana... This is really hard language and I've tried to find the best way to put it. And Mariana kind of put it the be the better way. I believe that what this was was Af Afonso essentially breaking in Rui um, through a prostitute, which is a horrible thing to say, but it's the reality. It's happening to kids all over the world right now. 
Um, and Mariana believes in her use of the language it was to make him learn sex, you know, and she kind of fleshed out her opinions on this. Quote, at that age, 11 years old, some boys can be curious, but curious in an innocent way. I worked for a while with kids from 6 to 13 as an after-school teacher, helping and explaining with their studies and homework. In those places, parents enroll kids for after-school time until they fetch them after their day's work. Some kids about that age tend to be curious, not in the way an adult is, but to see images at least, to start to find attractiveness in some way. It is strange to see that and try to change that focus on them. I think Rui was curious as to see what a prostitute looked like, as he never saw one before. And I think he may have been keen to see one, just to see, never to be with her in a sexual manner, neither to interact with her. As Alcina said, the prostitute, Rui was destructed or distressed, I think she means, and crying a lot. He wouldn't be as such if he was okay with the situation or desiring to have sex. All of this is precocious and even now it is too much and unacceptable for a child to go to prostitutes. Portugal may be small, but we are like the Italians and other nations. We love kids and protect them fiercely. All of this must have shocked Rui's parents and other folk too. It is in no way a normal situation, unquote, which, yeah, underline like that final bit. It is no, none of this is normal and the rise of this kind of bullshit in society, none of this is normal. Um, and don't be scared to kind of say that in the face of people who have lost their minds, the sexualization of children, none of this is normal. So, of course, as happens in these cases, scammers tried to screw the family over. Um, they would ring up and put crying children on the phone as part of the scam, um, pretending to be Rui on the phone. They would ring up and say, I've got your son here. You need to send me this amount of money. They would ring up and tell Philomena um, that she had to send nudes in order to get her son back. His cousin, Andre, would later say, quote, I stayed for the entire night on a landfill because someone said that someone was going to deliver Pedro there. He loved him so much. Um, sorry, this is unquote. He loved him so much that he could not let go of any clue. Um, Eldo, his head may have told him that it was a lie, but in his heart, his hope in his heart was bigger than anything. So his cousin who had the same grandfather as Rui, um, who I talked about on part one, they would do all of these things, essentially being like intermediaries for the family. And his grandfather, who I told you at the end of part one, died in a tra- tractor accident later on. Um, he, he, he spent like his life savings on this. He would go to Belgium, to Holland. He followed up all of these kind of different things that I believe he was on the right track. And I think Mariana does as well, and I think that Beatrice, listener Beatrice does as well, that he was following something that comes from a bigger a bigger thing that you just can't infiltrate, um, which a few years ago I would have said is kind of a conspiracy, but now I firmly believe that this kind of shit goes on everywhere. There's cells of these kinds of people, um, you know, not only are there crackpots who try to fleece money out of you, which has happened since forever. It's not a new phenomenon that people try to scam people who are in grief, especially with missing children. 
Um, but in terms of, you know, following leads that could potentially lead to like sex trafficking cells and that, it's like the darkest parts of humanity, but I believe it's actually more prevalent than people make out, um, which I'll talk about in a little bit. Philomena said at the time, quote, I imagine what he might be experiencing. I try always to have positive thoughts that even after all he is holding up with a lot of strength. I just want him to hold up because if he holds up sooner or later, I'll get there to help him, unquote. So the years went on and really most of the investigation fell on the family of Rui to look for him. And then in 2007, nine years after Rui went missing, um, a little girl called Madeleine McCann went missing in the southern portion of Portugal, the Algarve. And Rui's parents, like many Portuguese people, were dismayed to see how much attention this got when Rui barely got any and he was a Portuguese child, um, which... Time and time again on forums for missing kids and stuff that I found a couple in Portugal, every comment from local Portuguese people was the same. One person said, I fume when I think about how much Madeleine McCann got compared to Rui. And just to paint a picture of trying to find information on Rui and other missing children in Portugal, because I've got a couple of cases coming up that I'll discuss that barely have any information out there about them. And one of them, his name is also Rui. When I googled missing children in Portugal, Madeleine McCann was every single article for the first 50 pages of Google. And then I got a tiny old blog where they listed a couple of missing children that were Portuguese. When I narrowed it down to missing children Porto, the area, which is not even anywhere near where Madeleine McCann went missing, Madeleine McCann was the first 30 pages of Google. In terms of someone who works in SEO, the, the, she has completely dominated every potential search option and it's through no fault of her own, but it's to paint a picture of just what the mass media is capable of doing, of completely pushing someone off the internet almost entirely, which is one of the reasons why I have unknownpassagepodcast.com because a lot of cases I do don't have press coverage. You'd never heard of them before. That's what a lot of you like about it. And I try to have them have a place and their episode page, at least on my website, because so many people just don't have any of that. And at least it is something new on the internet, you know, um, and that's why I do it. Granted, I'm having issues putting up Rui's page at the moment because Squarespace just keeps crashing every time I try to, so bear with me. So this is where I'm going to get into a number of different theories that interlace with the investigation. Not long after Rui went missing, um, a non-government organisation that essentially fights pedophilia groups, especially in Europe, um, infiltrated and led to the breakup of a massive online pedophile network called the Wonderland Club. And ultimately, they would be broken up really about six months after Rui went missing, which is something that I had to think, consider in this case. Now, I don't, I looked into kind of who I think was the organisation behind this, and I believe it's a group that still has a website called Caso Criminal. Um, and I believe it's casocriminal.org. They're doing like God's work, these people. They're infiltrating these fucking groups, looking at tens of thousands of the worst photos you can imagine. 
And then passing them off to, you know, trying to identify them through missing children and working with authorities to do that. Now, Rui, one of the things about this case is that photos were discovered that could have been Rui Pedro. And I'm open to whether or not they were. But the reason that the timing of this group being essentially taken down and what I wanted to get into, um, it's really important for whether or not the timing is right for that. So essentially Philomena was sent to Switzerland and she had to view the images um, while she asked to. She couldn't do this in Portugal because Portuguese police wouldn't, you know, um, work with this government organisation, but Swiss police were. So there you go. 10,000 of these, which shows the time, the 1990s, um, they were on CD-ROMs. Um, if you're under 30 years old, you might have to Google that. And they were confiscated in the Netherlands, um, which they believe is where the basis of this group operated out of, like where their main servers were. Now, there are photos on this um, that could be Rui. Um, um, Philomena looked at every single photo, tens of thousands and videos looking for her son. She actually was hospitalised in Switzerland, I believe, after or going through this ordeal. Now, one of the most interesting things that seems to be missed out of a lot of coverage, and that's why having Mariana research this and translate it was so amazing, is that she believes and she has found sources that say that Afonso's truck driving licence was paid for he did a truck driving licence um, through the driving school that Rui's family ended up running and that's what he was working as essentially now and before he was ultimately arrested and, you know, he, he essentially at 18 you can get this licence. <clears throat> and Manuel stated in an interview that because we know that he was looking at the books of the they ran this truck organised like driving school and um, you'd have evidence of the books and who's paying for different people's licences and invoices and remittances and all that. It was paid for by some guy in, in the Netherlands. Um, and this is something that me and Mariana really like zoned in on. Um, so I just wanted to read you what Mariana wrote to me and what she is kind of thinks in her mind about the links between the Automobile Club, which is where he was going to when he first came into contact with Philomena all those years before, which was next to the driving school where he ultimately took classes. And these are quite expensive courses that you do. And if you fail them, you have to pay all over again. So she kind of explained it, quote, I didn't understand very well all of that part of the story, but from what I did, Afonso was connected in some way to the specific auto club, probably with trucks and professionals of trucking, and it was there he got the possibility to become a trucker. But in Portugal, there's no way someone without a specific licence can sign a contract or be connected in a work way to any company. You must have it all before you demonstrate interest to have that job or the people at the job don't accept you. Why would they? Or they were willing to spend money for him to get those licences, the B licence and the truck licence. It would be okay money in Holland, but in Portugal, it would cost someone three or 400 euros plus more if you fail exams or need to have extra classes, or if you miss the time established for you to get the licence. If the auto club did all of that, they must have had him sign a promise contract. 
So they would be forced to complete and have the licenses and become a worker with them afterwards for whatever time that they decide. I think this second option sounds a bit more like a prison. You really must be all in for it. Um, And from what I remember, from what Manuel said, he didn't see that auto club with good eyes, meaning he didn't look at it like a good establishment. So what she's saying is if they paid for that, they'd have him kind of almost like indentured servitude where you kind of have to work off the license. Now, someone with connections to this automobile club in the Netherlands, according to Manuel, paid for the license. Now, why would that be? He has no connection to that. But what I'm saying is the Wonderland Club, the kind of roots of that were in the Netherlands which is another whole argument when I did the sex trafficking in the Netherlands episode. This is the slippery slope of decriminalising and legalising these things, unfortunately, which you have to pay attention to. So back to the Wonderland Club. Now, there's a couple of pictures within it which you can see. I'm not going to put them on the website or, you know, I might put them in the Patreon. They're not bad per se. They're kind of blurred out that authorities believe could be Rui. Now, you can never say 100% certainty that it is. Um, and because his eyes are kind of megapixeled out, you really can't tell. Um, I, a lot of, they sent it to a lot of different organisations to look at and compare to Rui. And they said it really could be him. His mother believes it could have been him. Um, one of the pictures is he's, it's just his head, a kid, and it's to the side. And It's just like the big teeth, I think, that is kind of um, his face isn't as round as Rui's. But we don't have dates of when these were taken. And when I talk about um, the operation that broke this up, it happened really soon after Rui went missing, which is one of the things I kind of had to consider that I don't personally believe that Rui's in these pictures. Um, I don't believe that they're him, but it's open to interpretation. Another one is a child standing and a man slapping him on the face. Um, they're out there, like they were published. They're on documentaries about Rui. Um, I don't, if you Google Rui, you'll see them. Um, the kid's gagged and his eyes are kind of megapixeled out and I believe he's in underwear. It's I just didn't, I didn't want to go down that road too much looking. There's only a couple of pictures, but when you'll end up, I just don't want that shit on my phone or my, you know, laptop, you know what I mean? So the photos that kind of they had at the time, there was 1,263 children um, in the ones that she looked at and 750,000 videos and images in total were confiscated. Um, later on, Philomena would say, quote, what shocked me was these small children their small gestures and their faces to understand the barbarity, to understand the kind of stuff that they are making them do. These are kids that are visibly terrified. I don't know. These are horrific images. There are babies barely walking. It seems impossible, unquote. Um, And these things do exist because one of the worst of the worst, who I've mentioned on a previous thing, but his name's Peter Scully and I won't name the um, the. He was an Australian pedophile who's now doing like life in the Philippines and ran one of these. I won't name kind of the main video that got in court, I refuse to, um, but essentially 
he's the worst of the worst. Um, these people, I stand by what I said on part one. I thought maybe that's too harsh when I said it. And then I'm not alone. Most people believe this. These people um, need to be publicly executed. And I'm not ashamed to say that. I'll never not be ashamed. Like, I'll never be ashamed to say that. Um, so after that, she was hospitalised. Now, according to some sources, which links Rui to the Wonderland Club, was that a pedophile who was ultimately caught from the Wonderland Club was living in Portugal at the time. Um, but the Portuguese police dismissed this evidence. Now, Operation Cathedral was the police operation that ultimately was tasked with breaking up this massive child pornography ring. And it was operated, obviously, in the early days over the internet, but also in underhand kind of ways because not everyone had the internet at the time. This operation was run by the British National Crime Squad and 1,500 officers from 13 other police forces around the world all simultaneously arrested 104 suspects over 13 countries, many of them in Europe, but also Australia, the UK and the US. In Europe, it was Belgium, Finland, France, Germany, Italy, Sweden. And this crackdown happened on the 2nd of September, 1998, which is, you know, Rue went missing on the 4th of March, 1998. So, you know, they continue... It's pretty much shut down from then. So we've got April, May, June, July, August, September, almost six months to the day that Rui went missing, which is kind of why I think that Rui actually wasn't part of this one. Um, and I'll get into more of my thoughts on that later. But the kids that are, so few of them have been identified still from the photos. Now, in total, um, it was once they kind of accrued all of their stuff, once they did this, blitz attack to arrest them at the same time so none of them could communicate with each other. It ended up being 750,000 images um, and 1,800 more videos. Um, now, one requirement for entry to the club that the operation found out about was that you either had to be recommended from an existing member um, and you also had to supply 10,000 new or self-produced pornographic images of children in order to get membership. These people are just so fucked, so fucked. Now, unfortunately, despite heavy police work in multiple countries, only 17 of the 1,263 individual children in the images have been identified. One was from Argentina, one was from Chile, one was from Portugal, six were from the UK and seven were from the United States. And... The sad thing is when you look up what the sentences of most of these really terrible perpetrators of this Wonderland Club who they were able to arrest God, the average is two years, um, two years in prison across, even if it's the UK, Portugal, whatever, they all seem to be on the same page, two years. Um, and that's what makes you start to realise, you know, I thought it was all a conspiracy and I thought at the time, yeah, he killed himself, the odds were stacked against him. I don't believe that now about Jeffrey Epstein. Um, these people have higher up, you know, connections. Um, it's a massive web. Um, as George Carlin, uh, is it George Carlin, um, once said, it's a big club but you're not in it. Um, that kind of sums up this whole thing. Um, they have connections in government and I believe that's what Jeffrey Epstein was doing essentially. 
um, what he was lording over people. If you'd like to actually listen to a journalist who's done extensive research into this and no one ever listens to except for amazing kind of independent podcasters, look up a journalist called Whitney Webb who has done incredible research. She should receive a Pulitzer Prize. The sad thing is we live in a world of mainstream media um, and that just won't happen. They'll bury it forever because of the connections. But everything she's been saying for about a decade has now been started to be reported by mainstream media, including like, you know, just recently, just all the links between Bill Gates and Jeffrey Epstein. Um, and everyone told her she was nuts and she was a conspiracy theorist and she's dangerous. And then the next minute it's in the BBC, like they're breaking the fucking story. Um, so there's that. Now, if you're familiar with Rui's story, you'll be aware that there was a picture taken at Disneyland Paris about a month after Rui went missing, which appeared in uh, quite a tabloid magazine in Portugal called Keras Magazine. And then it kind of caught fire and went everywhere. Um, and so unfortunately, at least unfortunately to me, when you look up pictures, you look up information on Rui, you always get this picture. Um, and essentially, it's a picture of a family on a ride at Disneyland Paris just a month after Rui went missing. Um, and it's the three of them in the front. And then behind them is a man in like a red hoodie who is kind of his, his face is kind of blocked by um, the guy in front of him. Um, and then there's a kid sitting next to him and people believe that this was Rui. Now I'll say straight up, I don't, I never did looking into this. I don't, not only is it mere weeks after Rui went missing and I doubt they're taking a child that horrible things are probably happening to at that very moment to Disneyland Paris. Um, I just don't, they're not, these kids are not out and about, um, People need to focus less on this kind of like insanity. Like some people believe it could be him. Um, he, you know, his mother always hold, holds out hope. And the thing is, she thinks that kind of anyone could be him. Um, I don't believe looking at him, there's no way it's him. Um, I don't know how to not sound harsh. Um, essentially the photo was taken by a guy who was actually a reporter in Portugal. That's how he was familiar with the case of Rui, um, called Nuno Rogério and his daughter and wife are in the picture. And there's another picture of the daughter and wife taken outside Disneyland Paris, like in kind of an outdoor area. And you can see the guy in the red hoodie way in the distance behind them. Now, Mariana said that some people believe that the guy in the red hoodie, they believe to be a local pedophile in the Porto area. But because I couldn't find actual definitive evidence of that, I can't, I need to see that, like the actual evidence of that, not just um, hearsay. Do you know what I mean? Um, now, a lot of people point to the fact that this kid, he's on the ride and he's he's got like his hand weird and Rui had some sort of hand issue, which was quite, no one ever talks about it, just Mariana did it, kind of the way he holds his hand and it's like a congenital issue and this boy, they believe, has this his hand like that. Now, I don't believe that he's got his hand like that at all. I believe the boy's got his hand on the guard, like the handrail of the ride, and he's just like gripping the handrail of the ride. Um, but it's open to interpretation. Um, so essentially what Mariana said about the man in the red hoodie was that he's, he was identified and I need evidence that he was identified, not just hearsay, unfortunately. No shade to Mariana. She's just saying what she's heard. He was identified as the owner of a red house, which is kind of like a brothel in Portugal, which are illegal, and it's located in Porto. Um, and so 
yeah. Now, in the photos, just side note, the three family members in front of them, they're all wearing like this yellow poncho thing. And I was like, because I've never been to Disneyland. Um, and I was like, is that like a rain poncho that you buy at Disneyland for when it rains? And so I looked it up and sure enough, they still sell them and stuff at Disneyland Paris. Um, so I was like, why is everyone wearing that except for this guy in the red hoodie and the kid? But then I realized that it was like this kitschy kind of thing where you all wear these bright yellow kind of poncho things. So, I mean, that's open to interpretation, but I believe that's a red herring. Um, and I don't believe it looks like him at all. It's just impossible to say. Um, even if expert people look at photos and, you know, he sends something to Scotland Yard or the FBI or whatever, they can never definitively say, but I just believe his whole head shaped differently. His eyes are different. His entire jaw is different. I'd be more likely to believe that the photos in the Wonderland Club confiscated images are Rui if it wasn't for the fact that they were clearly taken months before the Wonderland Club was broken up, which was only six months after Rue went missing. And back in 1998, before information could be sent to you in like a nanosecond on the internet, it would take time to kind of share that information around more. So that's what makes me think that he wasn't part of the Wonderland Club images, but it doesn't mean he wasn't part of other group images. Now, Beatrice, who emailed, she believes that Rui ended up as part of a a child pornography ring like the Wonderland Club and essentially that Afonso had been tasked with kind of grooming him and then he passed him off to someone else and, and he ended up in another country potentially. And Mariana believes that as well. Um, I very... I verge off a little bit, but in general I do believe that Afonso is behind all of this um, potentially for more higher up people, but I don't believe it panned out the same way. And that's just my opinion. Another child sex scandal broke, um, that was quite well known in Portugal. Um, this around the same time, like a few years later, this was called the Casa Pia child sex scandal. Casa Pia was a kind of state run orphanage in Portugal that was meant to kind of take on orphans and give them an education. Um, But as happens, unfortunately, a number of the children were kind of molested. um, And they ended up running like this male child prostitution networking involving 100 boys. It's really a prominent case in Portugal, if you look into it. But the most interesting thing about Casa Pia that shows how deep these roots run with these evil higher-ups, it involved a number of prominent men. Um, One of them was TV presenter Carlos Cruz. Another one um, was kind of a local governor, Manuel Abrantes. Another one was um, a former UNESCO ambassador, surprise, surprise, Jorge Rito. They all went to trial um, and the trial was the biggest and longest in Portuguese history. It lasted more than five years with testimony from 32 alleged victims um, out of a total of over 800 witnesses and experts. And a number of men, including the aforementioned ones, on the 3rd of September 2010 were convicted and sentenced to up to 18 years in prison each due to crimes that happened from the late 90s to the early 2000s. Now, this is another avenue you can go down with Rui Pedro, but because he wasn't a member of Casa Pia, it doesn't mean that he wasn't somehow embroiled in it. What it goes to show is that the roots are so deep within these sick fuckers 
lives. And what it comes down to for me, I believe, is when you've got so much money and so much power, you get your kicks from the most kind of grotesque things um, to scratch like an itch. But I also believe that positions of power generally attract people of a certain ilk, um, something's not right kind of in their head. But I don't go down like a lot of people, the mental health route. You can't apply. You can't say for everyone, everyone's got a mental health problem. It's not real. It's not reality. Um, Some people are just bad. I saw a, a psychiatrist doing a lecture on this recently, a world leading one saying, we need to stop saying everyone's got mental health problems and treating them like that. No, some people are just born bad or they just are bad. They're rotten and you've got to kind of scoop that core out, that rotten core um, out of society. And the only way to do that is either to put them away forever um, or to get rid of them. Um, and that's why I've kind of often, I've oscillated for a long time on either side um, and people who are involved with child sex scandals, I've always had a hard line on. Um, and statistically, you cannot rehabilitate them. Then they are serial recidivists. Um, it is a complete defect, but it doesn't mean they're mentally ill. It's part of their personality. And so if you can't rehabilitate them and you're not willing to keep them in a stone cell for the rest of their lives, then they either have to be chemically castrated um, like they still do in a lot of countries, including Britain for the worst offenders, or you need to remove them from the face of the earth. And that's not harsh. That's for the betterment of the rest of you and your children, the, the, the welfare of the whole has to take priority over these people um, and they need to kind of you need to pick uh, which side you're on, you know, and take a pretty hard line, especially when it comes to children. Almost a year to the day after Rui went missing on March 4th, 1998, when he went missing, another little boy called Rui with a very similar name, Rui Pereira, um, went missing from a nearby village in the same district of Portugal called Porto. Now, the last, he was 13 years old and he was, it's weird, when you see a picture of him, he looks in, he looks a lot like Rui Pedro. He's got like the big teeth, the sticking out ears, he's got a darker complexion, darker hair, but in general, the whole look is very similar. The, he, the last sighting of him was from a friend who was playing with him on a park swing. Um, and he said that a man got out of his car and came close to them and called Rui Pereira by his name. Rui went with the man and was never seen again, apparently. Now, there's no information on this out there when you dig into it. It was only through Mariana sending that to me that I even knew his name. Then when you try to dig into it, there's nothing. There's no media coverage, no nothing. There's a really old blog that lists a few missing kids and it was set up because the person who set it up got jack of the amount of attention that Madeleine McCann was getting and he's just kind of a byline in it, but there's no further information. And on that website, it, it, it doesn't even say that. It just says he went missing from outside his family's apartment. Now, the funny thing that stood out to me, not only the similarities with Rui's look, looking like Rui and his name being Rui, 
he went missing almost a year to the day that Rui did in the sense that Rui Pedro went missing on March 4th, 1998 and Rui Pereira went missing on March 2nd, 1999, which just weird to me. I don't know if it's just a strange coincidence. Um, this little blog that's really old listed a few other missing kids across Portugal and I went through each of them and there was probably about like 15 listed on it. Um, many of them not from Portugal, you know, um, but I did look to see any of them were in kind of the Porto district. A lot of them were in the Algarve in the south. Um, but the only one that really stood out to me was in 1994, a seven-year-old little girl called Claudia Silva Isuza. She went missing from her, her hometown of Braga, which is about 40 minutes away from where Rui went missing. She was walking to school um, and two men approached her and forced her into a car and she disappeared and there's nothing out there about her. You can see why people get really angry. Um, so the people on the forum discussed how so many cases or attempted cases often happen close to the coast, which actually stood out to me as well. Um, it's either Porto, which is a major kind of port city, or the Algarve, which is, you know, a very tourist heavy um, coastal location in the south, you know, and is this for movement of children who were taken or is this just a coincidence um, because there was a lot less in in Lisbon for instance on his list. Now Rui's case the first actually serious team was only assigned to Rui's case in 2008 10 years after he went missing and now we flash forward over a decade to the then 35-year-old Afonso Diaz, who is now living in the same village kind of that he grew up in, Friamond, and he's married, of course, and he has an eight-year-old son, of course, and he's a truck driver and he regularly drives to Italy and things like that. Now, I'm going to really condense the trial portion of this because I found it confusing. None of the articles seem to match up with each other. But in short, initially when they arrested him, they went hard on the kidnapping angle and that's what he was charged with. A lot of the articles just have the wrong charges in them um, listed. It's really all over the place. So I've tried to narrow it down as much as I can. And this was a trial in 2012, finally, you know, 14 years after Ruby goes missing. Um, sorry, 2010, I believe. And they went hard, but because they wouldn't allow Elsina's, um, the prostitute, the initial trial wouldn't allow her testimony. They were still like throwing out her testimony, right? So they went for kidnapping, but without her testimony and just the kids saying that they saw Rui get into his car, it was too big a charge to get him on it. And so basically he was acquitted of that. And so the parents ultimately appealed to one of the highest courts in Portugal and they were able to get a lesser offence, which is this is often a tactic used by legal teams, which was a way to get him on something, um, to get that on his record, an element of the case that they could prove. And that was that he took Rui to Elsina Diash that day for sex. Now, this trial, he was essentially charged with the corruption of 
a minor, essentially, like contributing to the corruption of a minor by taking them to the prostitutes. This went to trial in 2012. He, of course, denied it. He's always just you know, denied it. His defense team essentially said he's an amazing person, like yada, yada, yada. This never happened. All this time's gone by, you know, whatever. And this time Alcina was used in it. Now, how pissed off would you be being her? You've been screaming to be heard for 14 years and suddenly they're like, actually, we need you. And you, they're treating you all nice all of a sudden. Like when, and she's saying, but you didn't listen to me back then all these times I went to see you, like, and try to tell you, oh, well, now we're listening. And that was just the earlier teams. Like, you'd be really pissed off. But Alcina agreed to go to court and he was ultimately found guilty and he was sentenced to three years in prison, Afonso Diaz, uh, for essentially contributing to the corruption of a child. They believed that that event happened. His lawyer basically said Alcina was lying um, and that she never went to the police in 1998, which is the same argument the police had back in the day, but then all of a sudden their memories are clarified and they're like, oh, she did actually. Um, and, you know, she has always maintained they just wouldn't listen to her in 1998, which I actually believe. Now, Philomena was able to give a victim impact statement of sorts and according to one article, Afonso just interrupts her during it, which is always awesome when you see that like in a court. It's like, okay, we already hate you. Um, so let's just hate you even more. Um, from an article Mariana translated for me, quote, accused of kidnapping Rui Pedro, um, he interrupts his mother, the accused of kidnapping Rui Pedro interrupts his mother's testimony. The man accused of the kidnapping of, uh, of a Lusada child missing for 13 years interrupted today the testimony of Rui Pedro's mother when she was talking in court. It wasn't clear what the defendant was saying, um, said, or said to Philomena from who he, whom he approached, but was um, but it seemed that his approach wasn't offensive nor aggressive. The defendant said, promising in the name of his own son. That's when I love that when people do that. It usually means nothing when they're a liar. Um, not having been noticeable, the rest of the phrase. Sorry, this is it's just translation issues. Afonso Diaz was immediately stopped by the judge that ordered he step away and to shut up, telling him that he was forbidden to do it again. The moment marked the first court session of a man of 35 years accused of the kidnapping of Ferru Pedro, then 11 years old, allegedly happening on the 4th of March 1998. Of course, through all of this, Afonso Diaz's parents believe he's innocent, particularly his mother. I found that kind of telling in an article. It said it had a neighbour who said his mother believes he's innocent. No mention of the father. Now, I believe the father probably knew in his heart of hearts that his son was a creep. But you always find that with mothers, they tend to not be able to come to terms with that. And I found that a stark comparison. You know, Philomena obviously had blinders on when it came to Afonso being in the house and the father and grandfather knew something was inherently wrong with him. The mother of Afonso has blinders on when it comes to how evil her son is and the father is kind of silent, which is interesting. So when the publication CM asked for a statement from Afonso's mother, she said, it's already been so many years and people still talk about it. Why don't you just let us be, unquote. So that kind of sums up what kind of family we're dealing with. That's why Manuel said they're poor people, as in poor of character. 
He started his sentence in March 2015 and he got out on Mar- in March 2017, having served only two years of his three-year sentence. He then did an interview with some publication where he said, I don't know what happened to him, I don't know. And the reporter asked him, do you think it was a kidnapping? And he said, <clears throat> which made me laugh out loud because it's such a kind of a trope. He said it was kidnapping or he fell into a well. Rui Pedro didn't get inside my car, unquote. So there was a homeless guy a few years ago who looked like Rui. It ended up not being him, so I'm not going to get into it, although he was really similar to him and I think for a moment it kind of gave his parents hope. Um, But the general theory for most people, including Mariana, me and Beatrice, is that Afonso contributed he did something with him. Now, because he was home by that night, I believe he, whatever had happened, it happened by then. Mariana believes that Rui was taken to France um, through child sex trafficking that Afonso had been embroiled in. Um, and she believes this could be likely because not of the Disneyland thing, but because there's a large Portugal Portuguese population in France and he'd fit in more there. No matter what happened to him, she believes that he was used for whatever purpose for a period of time, but he's been dead for a very long time now, which is generally they will get rid of them once they've served their purpose to them. Beatrice believes that similar, but that he ended up potentially as part of the Wonderland Club. Um, Now, my thought is that the things that stand out to me is that the Netherlands kind of someone in the Netherlands paid for his driving license. And this guy's already kind of dumb. He looks low IQ, childish, they say, but I would just go straight to stupid. Um, Probably easily manipulated, not that I'm downplaying how evil Afonso is, um, by other people around him. Very few friends, which would make me think that he kind of has, the friends he does have uh, kind of dodgy. He's somehow getting by without working. He's doing like these international routes, which, you know, with trucks and things, which could work with the child smuggling. But the fact that he was home by that night indicates to me that whatever had happened, it happened. Now, when I knew that Rui had epilepsy. My immediate thought was epilepsy, stress is one of the biggest triggers of epilepsy. And if he wasn't, he was without his medication, but he'd probably taken it that day. So it's not like he would be suffering without his medication. But I believe ultimately he would have. And even though Mariana pointed out it would have been easy for them to get him medication, they're not going to be taking him to doctors and things. So would they be able to know or would he be able to articulate that he had epilepsy and the drug that he needed? And I'm not sure about that. But the way that Alcina, who I believe her story, she describes how he was kind of trembling and crying and stuff, that stress element of that event, once he got back in the car, it has occurred to me that what if there was an, he had some sort of fit and he died um, and something, or my other thought is that he got back in the car and he said, Afonso just sensed that he was going to go home and tell his mother what had just happened 
And so he killed him to cover it up, essentially. And that's generally where my thoughts lie, that actually Rui's end didn't happen with the child sex ring, although that's where he was grooming him to end up, that he actually died as a result of either a fit or Afonso knew that he had to knock him off. The fact that he'd asked his cousin as well to come with them that day indicates to me that he wasn't really intending on getting rid of both of them that day because that would be really ballsy for both of them to be abducted, you know, um, and the cousin wasn't as familiar with Afonso. So my thought is that he intended this is part of the grooming tactic step by step with Afonso and when they got back in the car, I don't want to know what had led up to that trip to the prostitute. So I tried to put myself in that mindset and I couldn't because I'm not one of these sick fucks. But I can imagine the kind of step-by-step process that they worked through where he would have been showing him probably magazines back at the time and talking about girls and sex and how he had sex with prostitutes and that's what makes you a man. And step-by-step, and we don't know any of this because Rui never told his parents, obviously, and he never told his friends. So part of him must have known that it was like a secret and that's because people like this isolate kids from their family units and kind of say this is our little secret and everyone kind of knows how that goes. When they talk about the family, what happened to Rui, his dad kind of says, and his sister says there could have been an accident and they kind of allude to the fact that he could have like had a fit after that incident and then Afonso did something to him or he had a fit and he got rid of the evidence the body to cover that up and just to come forward. Um, Philomena oscillated between thinking he was alive for a long time. You can see throughout the years in the articles how much she changes from having hope to it just ebbing away. Um, and his father believes that he's been dead for for quite a long time. Um, so really my thought is that he meant this was just another stepping stone to groom him, but it never got as far as passing him off to someone else because um, I just believe that when when they got back in the car, I can picture the conversation kind of where Rui has suddenly shut down, he's changed, he's not like being fun anymore and I can picture Afonso going, you're not going to tell your mum, are you, when you go home, like what just happened and Rui's kind of quiet and Afonso takes that as, he's going to tell on me and he does something. And so that's what I believe happened, that Afonso, my belief is that Afonso is responsible for and he knows exactly where he is. Um, Now, most people believe he was sold into like an international ring. Now, this, if you're listening on Spotify, I've put up a poll for this week. I really want to know your opinion on what you think happened. Karina, Rui's sister, became a doctor. She actually pushed through all of this serious trauma. People throw that word around all the time. This is legit trauma. Your brother was like fucking groomed, most likely molested, potentially sold into sex trafficking. She became a doctor, which is incredible. Um, And really Philomena just is kind of unable to function. You know, her weight plummeted. She was never able to work again. The dad had to keep working to make ends meet. They had to get rid of the truck driving school because she couldn't run it anymore. Um, it, it was just, you know, what one person coming into your life, the snowball effect, what that can have um, on an entire family, 
like just for him to go away for two years um is unbearable there's actually a movie that i haven't watched that was made about this case that's portuguese called sombra s-o-m-b-r-a which means shadow it's based on loosely on his story with a, a few uh, sprinkles of fiction as mariana put it um when asked two years ago by tvi what life is like for her every day uh philomena said simply torture she said, quote, I would like to tell him that he can count with me on me always, that every day I kiss him like in the past. Every day I say goodnight. Every day I say goodbye and at night I wish him a good night's sleep. I hope there is something in heaven that can transmit my love for him. I want to tell him that I'll never, ever stop looking for him. Even if my strength leaves me, I will have... I will have strength for him. I don't know where I'll gather it, but I will have it so I can look for him. I will never give up looking for him. Unquote. She believes that Afonso worked with others to kidnap Rui and his father believes that he is long dead now. Every 4th of March, Philomena lights her candles at home for Rui when a few, asked a few years ago what she would say to Afonso Diaz if she spoke to him, she said, quote, ask him for compassion. I think it's the most noble sentiments we can have for others, compassion. And he put, and that he put himself in our place and if necessary that he transport himself to the past and remember himself the way we were together. We got along well. It was a natural thing. And from one moment to the other, there was no explanation. There was no goodbye. There was nothing. And that for us is nothing, it's emptiness. And we want to know what happened that day. What happened to my brother? Sorry, that was his sister, Karina. His sister, Karina, doesn't believe that he killed Rui on purpose and that something else happened that kind of led to his death, kind of in line with what I think. Now, if there's a silver lining to all of this, most couples end up splitting up in the face of a child going missing or dying. Um, and Manuel and Philomena have beaten the odds with that. They're actually still together. And they stayed together for Karina and for the family, which is incredible. Rui's bedroom is still intact in the family home, as it was in 1998, which is just unbelievable to think about because I remember my bedroom in 1998, in March 1998, on the other side of the world and it feel it it was like over 25 years it was 25 years ago like this year and I can still remember it so well but it was such a long time ago and his room is still like that and you know there was a quote from Philomena that kind of said oh at some stage you know we might have to pack it up but at the moment it's still it's still the same now, I don't have details on who to contact. I believe it's the Policia Judiciaria Portugal, if you have information on the disappearance of Rui Pedro. Um, thank you so much, Mariana, for helping me with this episode. I couldn't have done it without you. Um, there's just no way you can cover these things in a 10-minute TikTok, which we all know is for clicks with people like that. Um or get into the gravity of like a case like this or the reality of it, you know. It's not, true crime isn't entertainment. It's not something to get excited about. You can't have a favourite murder, I hate to say that. Like it's just, you can't have, 
cheers cocktails like that's why I just can't listen to true crime anymore and I'm not putting myself above these people but I hear it from people time and time again they're just switching off from the whole thing because it's so saturated it's so disconnected from real human emotions it's so disconnected from you throw around the word sex trafficking and stuff but I left out like the full details of what went on on these videos and stuff but maybe they'd take it less likely if they were forced to look at some of these images. They were forced to see the the biological effect of a grown man raping a baby, you know. Um, maybe they wouldn't have, you know, laugh about it. Like just two gals hanging out, having cocktails, which is like the format for every every podcast these days, which is why I could just come to it. I remember when true crime was kind of more niche, you know, back in the day and I, I, people thought me and my mum were weird for watching kind of true crime shows and now it's so mainstream and with mainstream comes desensitisation and I vowed to myself when I started this I will never become desensitised to the reality that these are real people with real feelings, real emotions. And I'll also never become desensitised to the fact that people are listening from these countries as well, who know people who know people, or they grew up with these cases and it's like real to them. And that's why including you guys in these cases and having your own kind of input is so amazing and I think makes the podcast really unique. And that's why I'm like really proud of it, you know, um, and I'm often hard on myself, but not with this, you know, I feel like I'm, I backed a winner <laughs> with the podcast. So just what you consume consumes you as, um, there's a famous quote that says, and just be wise of the information kind of that you consume and how they're presenting it to you because you don't want to end up kind of finding someone's trauma entertaining. Now, unfortunately, speaking of trauma, I'm, I'm going to get into some pretty horrible world <laughs> headlines, actually. But first off, there'll be a good one. I'll start off with an update on um, a story I talked about about three, three four weeks ago um, on world headlines. Um, and I'll, I'll read you the headline. Quote, you're safe now, little ones. The emotional moment four children clutch onto their heroes as they are airlifted out of the Colombian jungle after surviving for 40 days fending for themselves when plane crashed and killed all adults on board. That's the headline from the Daily Mail, but it's everywhere. My emails blew up about three hours ago. Um, I've been looking at updates for these missing kids almost every day and then you guys... I just gave up hope like a few days ago when they there was there had been no news about a week ago they said they found more footprints and I just said there's just no way that these kids are still alive that I talked about one's you know one's one's a baby one's four one's nine one's 13 there's just no way it's the Amazon is so inhospitable and then just to see that like come pouring in from people like did you see this I was just like, oh, my God. Like, now these kids are very skinny now. <laughs> There's a picture of them with all their rescuers. 
it's an amazing story that they survived, but they kept the baby alive is like the most astounding thing. And the baby turned one during the time that they were in the jungle. And it kind of went into everything the, the Colombian army and the local indigenous tribes have done to try to find these kids along with the dogs that ultimately led them to the kids and their scent, which is amazing. And they were broadcasting in a megaphone, their grandmother speaking because their mum died in the plane crash. Um, the grandmother speaking from a megaphone in a helicopter over the jungle if you can hear me like hold on and the army so so smart dropping not only like um boxes of food and things hopefully they came across them which you think that they might have come across a couple but dropping flyers like ten thousand flyers that said how to survive until we find you um how to kind of what you can eat just so smart and such an amazing outcome. It should have been in the news. Any other country, it would have been covered 24. You'd get hourly updates on the search for these kids, but because they're Colombian and they're like kind of local, they're not Indigenous kids, I don't think, or they're from like a local Indigenous tribe, but they don't live in the jungle. They've just been raised like to be able to look out for themselves and to hunt and fish and that's what kind of sustained them because there's very little actually to eat in the Amazon which we talked about on the Ossie Ginsberg thing but 40 days and then they said on top of that there's panthers and you know like jaguars and stuff in the jungle and it's just it's such an incredible story they're little gaunt faces in the photo in the photos they've lost you know a lot of weight but just to see one of the guys the you know, guys who saved them from the army holding the baby. It's like, how did you, that, the 13 and the nine-year-old, like, they need to be given whatever, like, the biggest, you know, award in Colombia is, you know. It's like the ultimate in heroicism. It, it, it's a, it's amazing. Like, I think that's why you guys got all hyped about it. So <laughs> that was the first one. I hope that um, put a smile on your face because the next one will not. Um, also, this side note, this one brought out the worst of humanity as well. Um, quote, Russian tourist 23 screams Papa as he's mauled to death and eaten by a shark in front of his father and horrified guests at Egyptian holiday resort. First off, um, the number of people who wrote good about this because he's Russian, shame on you. It's a country of 150,000 people. How dumb are you? Like, seriously? 150 million, sorry. Like, <laughs> like just to say just because you're at war with someone, there's 27 current like conflicts across the world right now and are you wishing death like on a whole population like you are in Russia just because, you know, their leader made a choice that they have nothing to do with? Like, it's just sick. Like, it, to, to, to take a story about a Russian guy on holidays in Egypt being eaten by a shark and to make that connection, you have to be evil and constantly looking for that connection, which is more and more common in today, just people who are out to just be complete dark lights in the world. You're sick. Stay home. Don't talk to anyone and leave us all alone. So this guy, I tried to avoid the video and then I opened a client's Twitter and there it was because it was the video was trending. Um, so I saw it um, and 
just the banal, the people filming, which is a whole other thing. Like, what the fuck are you doing? I mean, you can't do anything, but still. Um, just the, the commentary from people who were filming. Like, oh, it's eating his remains now. Well, yeah, no shit. Like, how dumb are people these days? I mean, seriously. Um, but this poor guy just screaming in this video for his dad who was on the beach and it was it's a tiger shark. Now, this place, um, it's like Hidaga or something in Egypt from memory. It's really popular, like, coastal area and they've had a lot of – they're having a Jaws situation at the moment because three people have been killed in the last year and the these tiger sharks are coming in really shallow kind of. But he was out a bit too far and – and he kind of took the brunt of the attack and helped a woman get away, which is amazing. And another reason why, why would you say good that he died? He's a, he died a hero, you piece of shit. Um, so anyway, uh, just the commentary from people filming, like just from behind their screens. That's why I'm not going to comment on the Annecy event this week. Um, I've decided because just people filming it and stuff, I just can't talk about it. Just people are living in, like we're completely detached from reality, like, just too too much TV, too many video games, too much internet. Um, so the poor dude, his dad had to watch it. Anyway, about a day later, they found the shark, which I never fully understand why they have to go and get the shark and kill it. But then I guess they wanted his remains. And the horrible thing about it is when you saw the shark, there was a picture of its stomach and it's totally distended like he's in it. Um, so I think they just wanted to recover that um he put up a bit of a fight and I mean I don't know what else you can say about it um and he was just the it was hunting him it was circling him and then it it was kind of playing with him you know pulling him down and then flipping him up and then his legs were in the air and blood starts pooling around him and it, it wasn't quick it didn't just drag him under the water um just brutal like but it is their natural habitat and I guess you can't really fault them for that. It's not something even as an Australian I've ever thought about sharks, even though they do come into like quite shallow waters and stuff often um, or get sighted even in Melbourne or just outside of Melbourne. Like it's just not something that when I've been to the beach so many times throughout my life I've ever thought about. Um, maybe I should. Um, the next story, I just kind of... <laughs> It's not funny at all, but what's funny is the lengths I went to to try to get to the bottom of this story that it was just such a waste of time because it's so pointless. So, quote, dramatic twist after Aussie woman who suffered horror fall in Thailand was denied life-saving treatment by insurer because she was drunk. As it emerges, she may not have had nine Long Island iced teas after all. I'm not, okay, so this Australian woman, she's like in her late 40s, she went with her husband on a holiday to Thailand and they were in Kaolak, which is near Phuket, and they were on a holiday and she mistook what she thought was a step, which should have had a step there, and it there was nothing there and she fell only 50 centimetres, like a, she fell like a foot. But the way that she fell, even the video freezes before she hits the ground because she hit her head the way she landed she basically landed on her head and she suffered like a massive brain injury. So they came, the ambulance came, and because Calac doesn't have like a brain trauma unit, they had to take her to nearby Phuket. And what they should do, they had they had travel insurance, but what they need to do is they need to immediately take your your 
blood alcohol content, which really shocked me that they didn't, you know, because it, they should have been taking blood tests anyway. Um, you'd think they would. But I think time went on and they were more focused on trying to save her life as opposed to checking her blood alcohol content. So when it comes time to contact the insurer, like the following day, which is actually the insurance I used to sell and I still use today, and I sold it when I worked at a travel agency back in the day, they're called Covermore Insurance in Australia. Covermore essentially does their own investigation and because the hospital hadn't taken her blood alcohol content, the way that they tabulated what her blood alcohol content would have been was how many drinks were on the tab that they they were at a bar when it happened, how many drinks were on their tab, and then essentially split those drinks 50-50. He drank half, she drank half, and then they calculated her blood alcohol content based on the bar tab. So anyway, based on this bar tab calculation, her blood alcohol content was like 0.35, which is like seven times the legal limit to drive a car in Australia. She would have, she was tanked according to them. And the, the, the tab had nine Long Island iced teas and 14 beers on it for the two of them, right? So the husband went to the media and he essentially said, we didn't drink all of these. Someone else must have been adding drinks to our bar tab. But as a lot of people rightfully said, what's the likelihood that they'd be adding the exact same order that you've been drinking the whole time? So I've had to think long and hard about this. And thank you to the Australian government's blood alcohol content calculator online. I actually spent time last night, sadly, trying to calculate this. And they've essentially, from what I can tell, split it down the middle and made out like she drank basically four Long Island iced teas and half of the beers, if they had, it would come to the 0.35. Now, if you don't know, a Long Island iced tea is the strongest drink you can drink. As one grown man in the comments said, two puts him on his ass. So how could she have drunk four and then seven beers, which strikes me as almost impossible. I have one Long Island iced tea and I, I can't order one if I'm going out. Because it's just, it's like tequila, rum, vodka, gin. It's got everything in it. Um, It's 22% alcohol, like in a Long Island iced tea, a standard one. And so either, <laughs> I don't know how to calculate it. I don't know. I'm interested to know what you guys think if they actually drank it. I mean, she's alive. But the thing is, the bill is now, as you learn when you sell travel insurance, which I did for this company, you hear about all these horror stories through your training and stuff. And there's fine print that people have to be aware of in travel insurance where if you're over a certain limit, they won't cover you, which is fair enough because it's like, well, you were so catatonically drunk, you kind of caused this yourself. And I believe that Covermore's their limit, which I think is very generous, is 0.19. It's essentially saying almost four times the legal Australian driving limit, I believe, because we've got 0.05 America, I think, to drive it's 0.08. We've got a lower one than you threshold. Um, I think it's quite generous like to 0.19. I believe they can't cover you for 0.35. But in this instance, there's just too many like issues that are not her problem, like testing for the blood alcohol, like things that weren't done. And I think in this instance, because of those gaps, they should actually cover it. I mean, currently, like every day, it's like going up 10 grand because you don't understand, like, it's, I think it's at 100 grand now. And it happened like a week ago, because without travel insurance, it's, crazy (laughs) the cost so I don't know I'll keep you posted it is a mystery I mean I don't think based on her 
just based on her build and her height and stuff, there's just no way that she drank that amount um, to me. She's just she's thin and stuff. She'd be able to have one or two Long Island iced teas and it'd be like nap time. Like she's not drinking nine or she's not drinking four and seven beers. You know what I mean? Like that seems crazy. And then also on top of that, you're being smeared in the media. It's like a crazy alcoholic when you're like, well, no, but also she should be covered because when you see the step that she stepped off, like they should be held responsible for that, like as everyone kind of agrees on. Anyway, that's that's that story. The final world headline I have for you this week is another cautionary tale. Um, so this is the headline. This is actually from the Daily Mail, but um, it made me mad because I've, I've, I see this kind of stuff all the time happening, not just in Mexico, but in general. Quote, mum of four from Texas killed by fungal brain infection after getting plastic surgery in Mexico. A CDC says two more have died and hundreds could be at risk from filthy equipment used for cut price ops, unquote. Oh, okay. So this girl who's a TikToker and I'm not holding that against her because she died, um, Lauren Robinson, she was 29, <clears throat> mother of four, four kids who don't have their mother now. Um, she went down to Matamoros on the on the Texas-Mexico border, which is actually where Mark Kilroy died. We covered that case on this um, for this cut price, really popular um, surgery, which no one should ever get. Medical tourism is becoming more and more popular, especially Turkey. And I'd get my teeth done in Thailand. I totally would. I wouldn't in Turkey. Because I get my eye, every time I go to Thailand, I go to an optometrist and they're amazing, best clinic, and it's like so much cheaper to get my glasses there than in Australia. Um, but these places that are filthy, and when you see the outside of this one that just got shut down because she died, it looks like someone's garage. Um, your health is everything you've got, if there's something I've learned over the last couple of years. Like, don't ever put it in the hands of someone like this, if you if you want to get these surgeries, you need to pay the premium. And it's not just America that's expensive. It it costs the same in America as it does in Australia for this kind of stuff. So she went down there and she got this, which is already a red flag. This it's like a three for three in one surgery, which anyone knows, even if you're a complete idiot. You need time for your body to heal between even small surgeries. I know a girl who got lipedema removed from her leg, from her shin, and she has to wait like six months to get the other shin done because there's too much. Your body needs time to heal. But she goes down and she gets liposuction, a boob job, and a, the worst thing that's happened to the world since the Kardashians, a Brazilian butt lift, Right. And she gets it done at a place that looks like essentially someone's garage. And she was on TikTok. She she goes home to Texas She after barely any post-op care at all. You could just go home, which is another thing. Then, you know, it's on the American t- kind of hospitals to help you, like which is a whole other argument. And she she put up a couple of videos and she said she's a bit swollen. Now, I'm not just saying this because I hate this kind of shit and I hate the Kardashians and I hate everything that they've done to girls and two out of three girls these days say that they've felt suicidal. Teenage girls, this is skyrocketing. It's out of control and I blame people like Kim Kardashian, um, Khloe Kardashian. It's not real. 
contribute your life to something bigger and raise your daughters to look at bigger, just better role models. There's so many of them. I mean, take your pick. But it's sad because they're manipulating like young girls and they're even manipulating like grown women as well to think they need this shit. Do a few squats, you know, eat healthy, get off this Ozempic shit that causes osteoporosis and it's causing thyroid conditions and all this stuff down the line. Just, and if you're going to do it, you can't complain, you know, to people that you're vomiting and shitting at the same time. But she went home, she filmed it. She looked way better before, like honestly, um, her before pictures, like a normal girl. Plus, girls, if you're doing it to impress guys, most guys say this kind of stuff that, it, that really puts them off. Not that maybe you're doing it for confidence or whatever, but every guy I ever read about, just look at, ask any guy. <laughs> like They're just like, this stuff is gross. We hate this kind of surgery. Just be normal. Um, so she had all this stuff and makes you wonder about afterwards, how do you lie down? Because you've had your butt done. You shouldn't be putting pressure on it. You've had your boobs done. How are you going to lay on your front? And you've probably had lipo on your hips. So how are you going to lay on your side? This is why these people are criminals who run these cut price places. What are you going to do? How are you going to lay um, without putting pressure on it? So she goes home and she, she gets a pounding headache after a few days. And she goes to the hospital and she goes into a coma and she dies. And she had um, brain, like meningitis, which is inflammation of the brain and spinal cord caused by the epidural needle that they stuck in her back in order to do the Brazilian butt lift that essentially injected fungus from a unclean, unwashed syringe, of course, into her spinal fluid. Now her beautiful four children don't have a mother um, all because of this fucking shit. So there's two other women who have died in the last couple of weeks from the same thing over two clinics um, all around kind of the Matamoros area. And the CDC currently has 17 open investigations um, when you look at kind of even just getting your teeth done in Turkey, what they do and how they saw your teeth down to literally just stumps, there's nothing there. You'll never, ever have your real teeth again. People are having that done even when there's nothing wrong with their teeth. When a normal like dentist in a developed country would just, there'd be other options. <laughs> they, they, You don't have any and then you're constantly on the hook for, for when these dentures, which are really poor quality, break down. You have to get it done all over again. Often it's not done at the same standard as the developed as developed countries. If you're going to – the the biggest red flag of this is that her three surgeries together cost like $5,000. Now, in Australia, to get – like we uh, – if you get surgery for like health reasons – it's kind of awkward, guys, but I have to um, – so, for instance, like Medicare will cover you for a certain amount if you want to get your, your breasts reduced because they're too big naturally, which is something that I looked into a few years ago. But the cost of it, even with the gap that Medicare pays, was like $6,000. And I think in total it was eight or 9000 the quote, to get them. And it's just it's just not possible like for me to pay that amount. And so <laughs> just that, but then... For less than that, she was getting a Brazilian butt lift, which actually in her photos on TikTok looked really 
weird. Like, and you see these things rupture, these pads they put in your butt. Like, look up pictures of how they've ruptured and, like, caused, like, death through infection throughout the body. Even just the boob jobs, like, the quality that they use. And I can speak on this because Nip Tuck is one of my favourite shows of all time. And so I feel like I have an honorary degree in plastic surgery. So anyway, ladies, just laugh short. Don't make it shorter by making these choices. And if you're going to, go to somewhere that actually has your health in mind. Um, ladies in America, please don't go down to Mexico. Please, please. I know it's expensive, but if you really want to get it done for your, for your confidence or whatever, or you just feel like shit or your boobs around your waist and I totally like relate um, and you're going to get a boob job, you're going to have to just save your money and get it done like properly, get it done by a proper proper surgeon like and yeah I just feel so sorry for this girl it's just just a terrible painful way to go out and not worth it ever that's the end of the episode hope that you've got something out of this two-parter um I will be back next time with a new episode I have to prioritize this month's patron only mini moments in world history video episode so I'll probably prioritize that before the next main episode. So join the Patreon. I've done three of them so far. We have lots of different like quizzes and listener input in that and conversations. And it's just really cool. It links off the website at unknownpassagepodcast.com. It's also in the show notes uh, to link to the Patreon to join for as little as a dollar a month. Um, you can pay yearly to get it over with. Um, you can pledge up to however much you want per month. Um, and you join the community, give thanks if you enjoy the podcast um, and you get to kind of, yeah, support an independent podcaster. Um, if you'd like to give to the PayPal, it's unknownpassagepodcast at gmail.com. Um, and yeah, I think that's it. I'll be back next time. Um, probably to a place we've been to before. I'm not sure yet. Um, I'll speak to you then. Bye.